This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Robert Burig, a co-founder and CEO of the digitized time and motion study startup called Cognium. We discuss and explain approaches used within the lean startup method that test and measure ideas before fully committing to them, and then go on to build a deeper understanding of how such approaches provide a better understanding of a team's workflows when providing healthcare, and how those key insights will drive better healthcare outcomes. Robert also takes us through the value of developing a continuous improvement culture combined with supporting systems as ideal management approaches to help data analytics work for us rather than overwhelm us in managing healthcare organisations. Let's jump in. Well, hey, Robert, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well, yourself? Fantastic, thank you. Thanks for making the time today to talk about your uh, startup or early stage, I'd say now, because you've got some momentum going with uh, Cognium. And uh, we'll break that down for the listeners um, shortly. Perhaps we could hear from you uh, a little bit about what you're doing with Cognium, um, who you're doing it for and um, why. This all started back uh, 2017, actually. So I was one of the senior lead systems architects at a huge firm that does medical record systems here in Australia. And Back in 2017 is when my grandma had an issue in the hospital. And because she didn't get medications on time, she had a heap of complications. And it was just kind of a nightmare scenario. So when we started doing research, we found that some of the technology that I was actually implementing as senior architect was causing some of the issues that my grandpa was suffering from because that's what led to that disaster care experience. So at that point, um, I started thinking, okay, well, if this is not having the intended benefit that I thought, then maybe we need to go back and check ourselves, do some research with the end users. So we did over a year of research with nurses and patients and all across the health industry. And uh, when they started telling us repeatedly that technology just doesn't work for them or wasn't designed for them, um, that was kind of disheartening because that was my entire purpose, I thought. So... Uh, we kind of had to reinvent a different way of doing things. So we set up Cognium, our company. Um, it stands for cognition, which is just collecting data through our five senses, and axiom, which is a mathematical term for a fundamental truth that we can all agree to. Um, so Cognium is just the collection of data to try and find that fundamental truth and get to the root of a problem. So our software tandem suite, uh, we started creating Uh, And it's been used in multiple different facilities in different areas to try and figure out not just what the problem is, but to quantifiably measure when we get that problem fixed, uh, what is the solution worth? What return on investment? What benefit will we get out of it? So we're not just throwing IT systems at whatever we can find. Um, We actually have a plan of, okay, this is what we will get out of it when stuff goes live. And these are the benefits that we need to align to. So it's designed with the end users, the patients, and the nurses in mind. Um, so that's 
where the why and where it all came from. And uh, yeah, it's been going like gangbusters so far. So <laughs> fingers crossed it keeps going that way. Well, that's fantastic news. And um, I want to get into the startup uh, journey uh, at some point in time uh, as well. But I just want to sort of focus a little bit more on those origins because um, I hear that a lot, you know, where you have that lived experience, that personal reflection on what it was like to be a consumer of the healthcare system, um, mm. either directly or indirectly. You know, that then sort of provides a perspective on how things could be better or uh, could be done differently. So pivoting out of, I guess, you know, being employed in an organisation and then doing that kind of um, experimentation, what was that like for you? you? You would have had to have gone to a customer um, by definition, being um, a health provider, a, a hospital in this case. What was that journey like for you? Oh, well, it, it didn't actually start out. It, when Granny B was having her problem, we started researching. But the first thing we started looking at was, okay, well, maybe we start helping diabetics. So we were also researching that a lot of people that have type 1, type 2, gestational diabetes, and asking, what if we put up a dashboard and it tracked all your measurements and glucose levels and then your loved ones could see it and great idea. But when we started pitching it to the diabetics themselves, like that sounds awful. That means every time I have a piece of chocolate cake, my doctor's going to know about it. And for no offense, but personally, I would not like my entire dietary history to be on my medical record permanently because um, that changes day to day. So that was a pivot. Then we started talking to nurses. How do you diagnose, you know, diabetics and the type of insulin and the amounts they need? Because we could see statistically that insulin is the number one most incorrectly given medication um, in healthcare. And all the nurses say, well, I, would, I wouldn't guess and I wouldn't use your solution. I would go to the family. So we stopped at that point and didn't about face. Like we keep taking what we think people need because that was my background. Let's make a solution. Let's go see. And we reversed it. Let's go understand a problem down to the fine bolts and details. And then we can start working on what comes after that. But we spent the next six months just doing interviews. And it took me over 150 30-minute interviews with nurses and staff and support all throughout the healthcare industry to really start to see uh, they keep complaining about these top three things. All of them are related to technologies. So because that was my background, this seems to be the kind of area that we need to focus in. So that's when we started pivoting towards, all right, well, if technology is the problem, how do we fix that and give it a way to be a little bit better and fix the design thinking so it's problem-based, not we're throwing a solution at whatever is out there hoping that it works. So we probably had about five pivots with different ideas and how we were going to do this. We knew from Granny B we wanted to improve healthcare. We just weren't sure how. Um, so the why was always there, and that was the driving force. But because we were in love with the problem, the solution could be fluid enough to be something that actually helped, which is, I think, where a lot of startups make their mistakes. They have a great idea. They go out and they start pitching their solution immediately to anybody that will listen and you know, when you take your idea to mom and, and Vicky and whoever else, they're like, yeah, this is great. I love it. Um, but the ones outside your inner circle that are going to give you the truth, which might be, uh, I wouldn't buy it. <laughs> uh, it sounds great, but I don't see how it's going to really benefit. So um, you really have to broaden your circle and ask non-biased questions to get to the root of what the problem is before you even mention your solution. 
That's fantastic. Gosh, there's um, there's a lot to talk about in that because um, you've used the word pivot. And just for uh, the listeners out there who perhaps aren't familiar with that term in the context of business, do you want to, do you want to expand on it, on uh, what it sure. means to you? Uh, pivots can have all kinds of different forms, but it basically means what we thought we were doing, um, maybe our business model uh, needs to change. Maybe we need to start charging for a service. Maybe we're not a consultancy. Maybe we're a software platform. Maybe um, the customers that we're trying to service, we thought we were going to be in hospitals, but we're better suited to aged care. Anytime that you have this huge, massive operational flip of what you expected and understood through your insights, um, you need to go to a different area or completely change your business to address what you're getting back in feedback. That's a, a pivot. Um, they are expensive and they are um, daunting because usually every pivot, you have to give something up. So uh, before our very first pivot, we had a hospital basically saying, if you give us this idea, this solution that you're pitching, sure, we'll bring it in and we'll, and we'll be your first customer. The pivot to something completely new meant that I was leaving that customer in the dust and that they were not going to join us on the journey moving forward. There's other times where we've pivoted to a completely new customer segment. So all of our original people that we've been doing research with and signing up as beta testers, again, there's the go to the wayside and you have to give some of that up to be able to do the new um, trajectory that you believe that your business needs to go in. It can be painful, but it's very worth it when you start figuring out where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it comes out of a uh, area of startup that took a bit of popularity uh, a few years back, uh, which was called Lean Startup. And it was the idea that um, you shouldn't be wedded to what you think uh, the customer wants, but you should be, you know, dialing into what customers are actually telling you. And so, you know, yes. in your terms, you use the data-driven approach there. You're getting the customer interview as well as other uh, data points to actually develop your perspective around what it is that they actually perceive to be the, uh, the thing that they need or the value that they would like to get from you um, in helping yeah. them address their particular needs. So um, it's a really interesting concept. And, you know, deep in the startup world, it's um, talked about a lot and, you um, you know, I asked the question because um, I hear different sort of takes on the pivot. The idea is, though, that you're essentially um, you're trying to minimise the amount of um, investment you're making in a particular idea before uh, you realise that nobody's really going to buy it or, or uh, get anything out of it. Um, and so keeping it lean and mean, you're changing and course correcting based on the information that's coming back to you from the customer base. I kind of use a, um, a bell curve analogy there where I say, when you're in startup, you're starting somewhere along the bell curve. You just don't have enough of a sample yet to actually show you where the average is, where, you know, where the standard deviations are. So you've got to be prepared to be able to move with, you know, the growing sample of customer feedback that you're getting and stay very in tune with that. So that eventually you start to realize where the top of the bell curve is and where you actually want to, you know, sit with it. I think a lot of founders get that wrong, you know, where they, the ego is saying, I've got the idea. And I think it is, in some cases, it's a bit of dysfunction in the way capital is raised in the industry. And I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, where you have to pitch. And when you go into a pitch, uh, if you don't sound confident and you don't sound as though you're backing yourself, you're not going to come out well in a pitch, you know, and some examples there are things that we see like Dragon's Lair or, you know, the uh, the type of TV shows where people have, you know, a minute to try and convince some judges, you know, to cut a check for them. Well, you know, pitching is kind of like that. Um, 
you know, so uh, on the one hand, we're sort of encouraged to back our idea. On the other hand, that's actually counterintuitive because what we should be doing is um, backing our customers' ideas and uh, trying to figure out what it is that most of our target customer wants as opposed to what we think they need. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and I kind of blend the two together. So yes, it is critical that you have to have your customer feedback, but you also have to show something to people because an idea is great, but while it's in your head, nobody can see it. Everybody's going to have their own interpretations of what you're saying. So for us, I think one of the lean startup methods that you that's in that book is what is the minimum viable product? So yes, I need to get from point A to point B, but you probably don't need the Lamborghini. You could probably do with a single roller skate if you really had to. <laughs> so before you go anywhere, let's let's put you in a roller skate, see if it goes cool. Let's make a skateboard out of it. All right, let's make a scooter, a bike. Let's build it so that it's more in line with our understandings of our customers. If you run out and you try to build a Lamborghini from the start, I am a technology person at heart and background. And some of the people that have come up to me and told me I've spent $100,000 on this app that I've built and I've outsourced it and it's great. But when you're building software and these solutions, it's not a one-time sunk cost and that's it as your understanding changes and your customers are like, yeah, this is cool, but I'd like to have this do something else, or I need to scrap this and add new features entirely. It is a constant thing that you're going to be sinking money into. It's not a one and done. So I'm very hesitant when people say, can you give me a, a couple of tips on the technology or something like all you really need is a concept and you can do that it's um, similar to Canva, where you go to Canva and you have all these drafts and pictures that you can make very quickly. We used Figma for the first year. So at figma.com, um, and I'm not getting paid for this advertising, but <laughs> so they allow you to create very realistic apps and just download a template, change it to what you think it needs to look like, and you can animate it. So as a customer hits buttons on your browser, it brings up the next image in sequence. So it looks like it's a real app and you can get your point across without spending any money whatsoever. So you can do these types of experiments, run a, a page on Facebook under a fake pseudonym and a fake company. How many people would pre-order your product just based on an image and a couple of sentences or description? If you have like a huge massive blow up, you didn't even have to put it on Kickstarter and give up any of your equity. You just, just an experiment that shows you, yeah, there's interest to validate your idea and your product before you've sunk the money into it. And I think that's the difference. Most people go into these shark tanks and they see something very flash and, you know, it's been probably UX designed out the wazoo and it's super expensive looking and very pristine and all the investors want it. But you gotta remember like behind the scenes, that's just a hamster wheel and a whole bunch of mouse running behind the scenes to make it work is more than likely it doesn't actually do what it's advertised. Um, one of the most famous ones in history is when Steve Jobs went up on stage and he showed us for the very first time that iPhone with the touchscreen, it was super sexy and everybody thought that that was a working prototype. Steve Jobs had something like six or seven different phones hidden around the stage and only this one could do the maps and only this one could do the iPod and only this one could do the phone calls. Like, he had seven different things, each programmed to only be able to do one app. Like, watch him carefully. 
He's a magician. He pulls one out of his pocket. He puts one into the other pocket, pulls out of the second one. You can see him doing it. But yeah, even like the most like well-known product delivery of all time was just a bunch of MVPs all strung together. So don't invest money and a whole bunch of time and, and then expect an investor to pay you back. Find out what is the minimal thing you can do and do that first and then build it once you have the traction and, and the investment coming in. Yeah, I think that's um, really good advice and it's certainly um, part of uh, the, the Health Tech X uh, methodology and philosophy as well. Um, part of the branding language of the letter X is actually the experiments, and you use that term. It's really important to be able to actually understand how to conduct the experiment without over-investing in the idea because you don't just put a little bit of money into software and all of a sudden that's just going to be producing customers and income for the rest of your life and everything's great. It's like, no, that's just the start. You know, and then your customers are going to say, what about this? And what about that? And I need something else. And you're constantly iterating and trying to work out how to evolve that and how to actually spend, I guess, the time, money and effort on evolving the product that's going to do the most it can for as many people within that target segment uh, that you're actually focusing on. By definition, your customer grouping, you know, who it is that you're actually looking for. But I think that's probably a good segue to come back to the idea of iteration because, when you're describing cognition, you know, you're generating data from uh, a five sense experience you're uh, describing mm -hmm. there with um, uh, healthcare recipients and you're putting that together with an understanding of some fundamental truths or the axioms that you're describing in the actual brand um, and I guess the, by definition your purpose as a business. So tell us a little bit more about getting beyond the MVP. So you've got a product now, you've put it out there. Explain what the product is, you know. Tell us, tell us what, what is a customer or, or a health provider going to get when they introduce Cognium into their, into their organization? Sure. What Cognium is developing um, is called the Tandem Suite. Tandem Suite at its core is research software that helps you figure out what types of problems you have, what the solution needs to be, and when you get that fixed, what is the possible return on investment that will bring back to the business or the organization or the experience? So it's pretty widely adopted. It's more of a platform than an app. So we've used it in such cases. The emergency department is having a lot of delays and we don't know where patients are getting backed up and bottlenecked. Let's follow a couple of patients through the journey and see where the longest delays are. And then let's double down, narrow in on the biggest opportunities that we might be able to improve something. And if we can streamline that, then all patients coming through can get out faster. The entire emergency department takes on more patients. Everybody basically wins. So what our software uh, allows you to do is time studies. Uh, we do observational self-reporting studies. Map up, here's all the elements of a patient's journey or of this particular workflow. And let's go and watch it happen. And then as we do start seeing problems and you can start developing insights as a team of researchers. Like, wow, this is interesting. I didn't know that they were using this technology in that way. That's not its intended purpose. Or maybe something is not being used whatsoever. And we've spent millions of dollars to have that hardware there that everybody is ignoring for it to collect dust. Um, so these types of things can be very quickly sought after and, and fixed when you have eyes on the ground. Um, the other thing that allows for is surveys and um, kind of the four different areas of research. So when you're doing research, there's actually four categories of where you can draw your information from. You can do a survey, like SurveyMonkey or Typeform, but that's very cheap. 
So the data you will always have a limited number of answers, kind of biases what your understanding will be. Um, the next one is interviews. It can be a little bit more open-ended. You can talk to it a little bit better. Finally, it would be, let's go watch the environment and this problem exist in this space to try and figure out what we can do to improve it. And the final one, which is usually the hardest and sometimes impossible, is go do the work yourself. If you happen to be a nurse and you're investigating why nurses are having such problems, go into that hospital and be a nurse for a day to feel their pain and to understand fully what it is that they're having issues with. Of course, if you don't have eight years to get your license, that might not be achievable. But the further that you can get up that chain from a survey to an interview to an observational to doing it yourself, the more pain you feel, the more your brain will work to get out of that pain. So that's what our software helps you do is whatever level that you have access to, let's get you into that area, understand the problem as fully as we can with the tools within Tandem. And then we can start delivering in, in real time all of the insights that your researchers have brought together. So if everybody sees patients are being bottlenecked and backlogged in a certain area, we now have a dashboard that shows that instantly by what people are going out and investigating in real time. From there, we can come back and we can start similar to an MVP or a minimum viable product instead of spending $100,000 on a big informatics project and massive amounts of data collection. We did the same thing in less than a week and it cost us pennies on the dollar in comparison. So it's a way for you to iterate your understanding of a problem instead of going out there and doing the big bang approach and spending tons of cash on trying to figure out the best way to fix it forever. I think that's fantastic. I, I can see so many use cases or, or applications for using that type of uh, methodology. There's a, um, a concept that we're uh, talking about within the Health Tech X community, as you're probably aware, called the digital healthcare experience. That's built out of the idea of being um, very heavily focused on the journey, uh, what kind of journey a human being goes through as they're interacting with health providers. And um, it has a slight bias in that it's focused on the digital side of the interaction and the experience that's being created uh, for, the, uh, for the patient or the client. But having said that, um, it doesn't matter how much digital technology exists, we still live in a real world. You know, so the actual experience is somewhere between the real world and the digital world uh, in terms of what that person is having to go through in order to interact with the healthcare experience that's being provided. So being able to actually understand that end to end is um, I think a really valuable part of uh, continuing to modernize healthcare and to grow healthcare uh, going forward. Uh, because the journey doesn't always start in an emergency room. Um, you know, it starts in the lounge room or it starts in an office. You know, it starts anywhere, anytime. Um, and so being mindful of um, having that journey understood, mapping that out, seeing the data, getting a data view of it and being able to work through where the, uh, the inefficiencies are in the journey or potentially areas of uh, dropout where the individual just it's too hard to interact with that particular healthcare service or or they get lost in the workflow somewhere. Are you finding that Cognium is able to pick up on these things and help providers to design better journeys? Yeah, um, journeys is just actually one feature. So we've done uh, emergency room handovers between physicians and nurses. So it's not just the patient, but it's the experience between on shift hours and off shift hours. What's the difference when you're on a skeleton crew? creates a whole new environment because you don't have the, the capacity and the ability and the managers helping to drive the results. So 
the night crew has a, their own challenges because they just are not as fully staffed. Even like the loading docks, we helped a consulting firm at the, the loading docks at uh, Gulf Coast University Hospital because they didn't have a really good process for unloading things, putting it out into the warehouse and up on the shelves and, and making sure that the supply was well measured. Uh, it was kind of chaotic. So they came in and mapped out the journey of what those people were doing with tandem. And then once they've reestablished some baselines and new policies, and this is how things are going to react differently, they can come in after and I'll put a post and see, okay, what was the difference before and now after we've implemented this change? And is it worth keeping? So pretty much anything that you're about to change, be policy, uh, culture, if it's going to be a new technology, it doesn't really matter what the thing is that you're trying to address a problem. And we just want to make sure that when you address the problem, that it's successful and that it's not one of the other seven out of 10 that typically fail because it didn't encapsulate the culture, the business changes, the people's um, ability and, and willingness to adopt the new change. So all of these middle layers are usually missing in considerations. So it's great to have IT and be a solution guy. I totally get it. We want to help. But often we miss the mark because we are throwing lots and lots of solutions. They might not be the best one um, at a problem that we think is there, but may not be towards the directive and the vision of the entire company or what they're trying to deliver. So having something a little bit more streamlined all the way through, um, if you are interested, there's something called um, benefits dependency mapping or networks. And you can actually map this all out and see where your potentials are that you might fall or things aren't going to work out. That's where we kind of come in and help you test these areas that you're assuming are going to just work. <laughs> maybe your training isn't going quite as well as you think. Uh, maybe these areas need a little bit of touch up and a little bit of monitoring. That's where we come in and make sure that whatever you're changing, we can address things earlier in the process and ensure that it delivers the value and the benefit that you're trying to achieve. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. And it's um, it's a form of uh, evidence-based healthcare, if you ask me as well. It's not so much that everything has to be evidence-based at a clinical level, but if you're actually delivering a experience that's quite positive, that's um, likely to have an impact on the outcome that the individual is um, uh, heading towards or uh, hoping to achieve through the healthcare experience as well. Uh, so by being um, you know easy to use and providing a good experience and you know the um, uh, the engagement you know between the uh, the client and the healthcare provider is um, very positive and committed that's more likely to uh, help that person achieve their goals essentially in terms of what they're trying to get through and I'm glad you made the point as well that um, culture is um, a really important part of the equation I think tech gets uh it gets this sort of uh, somewhat unrealistic expectation that somehow if you just implement tech, everything's just going to be great. And um, <laughs> everybody forgets the people. You know, so as far as I'm concerned, at least at this point in my life, um, I think it's really important to have uh, people and tech cooperating. There has to be a cooperation there, whether it's a reflection of the um, preferred, you know, workflow or uh, whether it is a innovation, you know, where the culture is um, iterating and transforming uh, little by little towards better and getting to the next place. And it, it doesn't leave anybody behind or certainly not the majority of the workforce behind, especially with the proliferation of technology just globally. There's just so, so much abundance of choice of tech. 
that um, it's just really easy to subscribe to stuff these days and um, it's really easy to think that great I've subscribed to something so therefore everything's going to be fantastic because that's what the landing page said you know that's the marketing uh, you know value proposition that in my mind makes sense but now I've got to actually bring a whole team of people along so I'd, I'd expect that uh, Cognium will also play a role in that because you're actually using observation and um, data to show people where those um, inefficiencies are and come up with alternatives. Is that the case? Yeah, basically. When we see a lot of this outside forces on your business, it could be um, a cultural thing. It might be something that's legislative. It could be the way you get funded. All these different projects basically come up repeatedly across an entire industry. Um, in healthcare, for example, it's every emergency department has to have a length of stay LOS um, measurement of less than four hours. From the time they come into the doors to the time to discharge, that needs to be less than four hours. And some of the funding that hospitals get depends on it. So we've had lots of people ask us, will you do a study on our ED length of stay? Can you help us get these metrics and these insights? Because we've started seeing this repetitive project that we're constantly going out and doing for people, we're also collecting the insights of what typically falls over and doesn't quite achieve, uh, or what are the biggest problems that we usually see in this process that we might be able to hand off to the next person asking us and deliver those insights well in advance before we even start the project, here's the things to consider. So our next phase will be to put up a marketplace of projects, and then you just download the research project and it comes packaged with the insights of previous players. So you not only are learning about yourself, but as a baseline across the industry, how did other people solve this problem and how might it apply to you before you even get started, just as a couple extra considerations. So that's where we would like to go. And I think everybody thinks that they're a special snowflake, <laughs> but there's very similar projects and things because we all have to align with the same measurements and KPIs and metrics. Then we can basically say, these are the things that is gonna make it difficult if you don't consider that on the start of your journey. So that, that's something else we'll be pulling up uh, probably in the next year or two is uh, just downloadable templates. This is the project I want. Great. Here's where you go to get started. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, I could say a ton of value in that because, uh, you know, it's pretty stressing thinking about whether you're making the right choice or not when you're trying to um, innovate your business, especially in a business that is um, quite common. You know, and healthcare is one of those types of industries where um, a lot of the various types of healthcare providers tend to have um, a lot of participants in the industry that also provide those services as well. So that's kind of reassuring that if there's um, some innovators in the space who are sort of working through uh, the exercise with Cognium, they're coming up with solutions and improvements and innovation, and then that's distributable, and then others can actually uh, get there faster. That's going to be great for the whole industry. I'd imagine um, that that's going to be particularly effective in much maturer parts of um, healthcare, you know, where there's a um, heavy payer involvement, lots of regulations, um, lots of standards, um, OH&E, you know, a whole bunch of stuff where anybody providing those types of services needs to conform with those types of um, frameworks. And then, you know, you have to try and become efficient and effective within those contexts. What are your thoughts around that? Kind of to further your point that because we've seen this problem so many times and we've gotten down to the root cause and we can very definitively say this is most likely what is the problem that you need to address and you need to find a solution for, um, it allows people that have similar solutions to see those 
opportunities out there and say, hey, I think we might be a match and a good fit for getting this on board. Um, let's now do a time study with Tandem and let's see if Pilot actually changes the way that we think is going to happen and gives a benefit to the, the potential customer. Um, so it also helps those startups that have really great ideas come to us eventually to say, yep, this is the problem that we're solving and we can see, okay, this is a list of people and this is the areas that typically have that problem. That's where you need to focus your efforts first if you want to make sure that your product is viable and is going to bring a benefit to your customers. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, as, as you were talking, I, I kind of had this visualization in my head that um, the way I relate to healthcare in Australia, if not the Western world, is it seems to be very advanced in terms of process, procedure, you know, regulations, standards, OH&E, recruitment, um, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, you know, the, the deeper you go into the uh, medical slash um, hospital cohort, and then as you start to move out into community health and not as much energy goes into really ironing out those efficiencies. And that, that could be a combination of functions there, which, you know, you've got the the payers, um, the legislation, uh, the population that's being served uh, through those uh, particular uh, providers. Politically, there's there's so many reasons why that makes sense. And there's been a lot more evolution in um, informatics and uh, data. It's just a lot more advanced um, in those particular areas. But on the same token, it, it it's um, harder to innovate and actually, um, you know, make big changes, you know, in those particular uh, areas. If you sort of move further out, then it's much more dynamic and fluid and smaller, you know, in terms of scale. Is there a cutoff for you with Cognium where, you know, one type of health provider might actually be a better fit for what you're describing um, versus another? Or, you know, is this for any type of health provider? Right now, we're trying to keep pretty agnostic, but I will agree with you that the bigger the organization, the harder they get around their policies and procedures. And I read a book recently about benefits realization, and they spoke about this as if you need to think of large organizations as a living, breathing organism. And when you're introducing a change, you're affecting its immune system. <laughs> so you actually get attacked. Yeah. Um, because not everybody thinks that your product is the bee's knees and the, the miracle product that it is. Um, just because you're helping nurses and it's a huge benefit to them, it might be a detractor from like further down the line, the phlebotomist's life gets a little bit harder or um, a surgeon doesn't have the same level of access. He can't see things quite the same way. It's a detractor for him. So just because your solution is really great for one fit, um, when you introduce it to a really big organization, you're also going to bump up against some detractors too. And I think that having the ability to see those ahead of time and to make sure that your, your solution has something to offer them as well increases the likelihood that the immune system is not just going to kill you at the start. Bigger organizations, it helps to have tandem in place because it eases the frustration and um, kind of helps put things in a little bit easier. But for smaller organizations, it's great too, because you don't have a lot of cash. Um, it'd be great to have an abundance of informatics and data analytics and have somebody on payroll that's going to produce every single data element you could ever want for, you know, a quarter of a million dollars a year with all the, the server and setup. But just smaller organizations don't have that. So that's why we're trying to give them the ability to see what's the problem but at a very small scale, similar to the skateboard versus the Lamborghini. 
you really need the full informatics package with the abundance of every data that you probably never look at? Or are you just trying to figure out this one problem and work from there? If you're trying to get the MVP of data, then that's where Tandem can come in and help you on the small scale as well. Yeah, I think that's um, that's really good advice. And um, obviously it's underpinning uh, what you're trying to do with uh, Cognium there as well. So you're focusing on being able to research uh, the uh, type of workflows that exist in an organization uh, using data to support the observations. You're able to identify areas of improvement um, or potentially even innovation. But you're, you, you, it sounds as though that aside from that sort of um, ability to collaborate with all the key stakeholders and get those insights in real time and be able to actually report and understand on it and form a relationship with it, um, what you're advocating really is um, small changes, a rinse and repeat basically. Once you have the methodology in place, you can identify the first change, you can um, set the goal towards making the improvement and then you can make the change and then you can use the methodology to rinse and repeat and that becomes part of your culture then for continuous improvement. Is that is that sort of a fair summary of um, Cognium's exactly. value prop? Yeah, very much. Um, and it's we find that Lean Startup, we've been doing this for so long, but hospitals, it, it's one of the most regulated and stringent places you'll go with the TGA and FDA. People start to get very hesitant to really introduce a new change because Change can be dangerous and sometimes disastrous if it's not controlled in a such a way. And it's um, it, if you have a bunch of new things all going at once, you don't know which one was the underpinning problem that caused all of your issues. Yeah. Yeah. If I were to go and put a hundred changes into a hospital and only one caused a minor glitch, the entire project is considered a failure because that one glitch was present. Super frustrating for a systems architect, but I, I ultimately, I have to get it. You can't put in a massive batch of change and expect the best outcome. You have to see if all of them are going to work in conjunction with each other and it's going to be adopted. Choosing your projects by priority and the worth and value to the organization, but start with the roller skate. Don't go to the Lamborghini. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, minimum viable product, um, small change, uh, and regularly, uh, yeah, regularly, iron things out and uh, not taking too many big risks, just uh, incremental change that helps the people come along for the ride as well um, and develop a continuous improvement uh, culture that um, has the tool set essentially to be able to do it. So I think that's really great. And um, using the approaches that you're, you're prescribing, um, you know, how do you see the healthcare industry looking in uh, five to ten years' time? Well, we're coming up on one of the craziest digital ages where we're switching from constraint to abundance. So um, if I use this into a different context, when we first saw cameras come out, we were constrained by the amount of film that we could put in that camera. And then you only have 12 pictures, so you better make them really, really good because <laughs> you're spending money on every single shot. Then we start going to this abundance where now we have a cell phone camera in one hour, you could probably take more pictures than you have in your entire lifetime of previous generations. So we have a new problem. We have so much data and abundance. And okay, now I have a million pictures. Which ones are worth keeping? So we're starting to switch and we're seeing this growth of the industries to be the next phase, which is we have an abundance of anything you want. How are you going to sift through it and find what's meaningful? And most importantly, what are you going to action with it? Because a sea of data is just an ex 
expensive bunch of servers, if you're not actually doing anything with it, then what's the point of having it in the first place? So I think as we start pulling together these seas of data and massive oceans into something actionable, what you'll start to see is we're going to be able to start predicting how operations are going to run today, maybe this week, based on how many patients we predict are going to come into our hospital systems. And then once we have that level where we can start predicting what would happen, we can also do some proactive maintenance to make sure that our systems are staying aligned to the best possible outcomes. So maybe we see that this patient coming in has a really high history of needing two or three nurses, then we should proactively be letting the nurse unit manager know and a couple of other people and key staff, hey, you're going to need a couple of extra people on this week and giving those insights proactively before they're needed. So instead of us all being reactive to the crazy that happens to us day by day, it normalizes all of the features and the things that we're trying to do and helps us facilitate the changes on the underside so that the data is basically what drives us into a little bit less of an oscillation of crazy and a little bit more, okay, we can finally swim and, and tread water and let the, the system take care of us in return. Um, so that's where the data I think will allow us to go. We've got a long way to, to get there, um, but every day is one step closer. But yeah, I think the constraint to abundance is the big change and how we're using that abundance so it's actionable be our next big step. Yeah, I, I, I can really uh, relate to what you're saying there. I think that's a fantastic insight as well. It's a good um, good analogy as well. Uh, you know, I had a much more um, day-to-day relationship to what you were just describing there. You know, when uh, if you're a doting father like I am, uh, I tend to take multiple shots at my daughter when we're out and about playing and then it's like, well, which one's, which one's the good one? You know, because you just got so many. They're basically the same shot, but, you know, just the – the eyes a little bit bigger, smaller, you know, like you go through this, uh, uh, I guess, uh, this challenging decision-making process where you're actually trying to figure something out. When there's too much data, you know, you uh, can struggle then with making the right choice or feeling as though you are making the right choice. And I think what you're sort of touching on there is that in this abundance, in, in technical terms, certainly from a data standpoint, we're generating so much data more than that. It's exponential at the moment. It's ridiculous. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we're needing to invent, you know, uh, quantum computing and beyond to be able to cope with the with the processing that's expected you know going forward so being able to um, isolate the right things to focus on and be able to make the right choices in that context um, is part of the evolution i guess for healthcare it's it's being able to understand what the impact of digital is actually having on um, operating our human relationships in the context of healthcare settings is that sort of a fair summary yeah absolutely Terrific. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much, Robert. I really appreciate you coming on the show today, telling us a little bit about uh, Cognium and what you're doing. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about startup, but we've run out of time. I think it's a, it's probably another thing. I know you've been uh, talking about your journey. I'll put some links in the show notes around um, Cognium and uh, what you've been doing to get the startup out of the ground and into uh, commercialization. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, 
Don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.